0: It's wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You all look very well rested today, by the way. A little extra hour—that's always nice. Uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout um, before we get into the the message. I, I just want to make sure I say this because it, it's one of those things. I, I hope you know that at Overlake, we try really, really hard not to make politics a hurdle. ...for anyone to come into God's house and have an opportunity to interact with Jesus and to be on the journey with Jesus. And so, you know, when I became the lead pastor almost 10 years ago, we just made a, just a hard and fast, this is an apolitical zone... And uh, if if you want, like just a few months ago, I did a message on Jesus and politics. But even that was a really apolitical kind of message on Jesus and politics. We don't endorse a party. We don't endorse candidates. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, And and I just want to say what I love about Overlake, what I love about this family of God right now is that we've got folks that follow Jesus, and they they line up sort of on all places on the political spectrum, but we really hold those places in humility trying to go after Jesus. I say all that because we never give permission for anyone to put signs out front or to stand out in front and hold signs, and uh, it's just not what God's house is about. And so I do just want to say, I know some of you, as you drove in today, you saw somebody out there with signs, and, and that person has been asked to, to vacate. I don't know if they have vacated or not. Here's the deal, though. If you want to hold a sign on, on your yard, uh, in front of your house, that's totally fine with us. Just not on God's lawn in front of God's house. Does that make sense? So... So yeah, please, and you know, if you really want to to take this message home, just vote against anybody holding a sign out in front of our house. That 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 would uh, <laughs> sort of deter like the people you know who want to post. Okay, so uh, by the way, I thank God for Wednesday morning because I'll be so glad, right, when this whole this uh, this is uh, the worst circus I've ever. Not paid to attend. Um, if you look at your notes, what you'll see is there is a continuation in a series. Today we're going to serve up another steaming hot cup of Joe. Today, as we as we talk about the life of Joseph and we see uh, how he has uh, has lived his life and what God has has done in him, we've kind of taken a look at this life that was lived four thousand years ago and. And it's been amazing to so many of us as we've jumped into the story to see how relevant and how applicable it is to our lives today. <clears throat> but to start, it was March of 1999, just a regular day off for me when a bunch of my buddies said, hey, Mike, we're going to the movies, you should come with us. And I said, sure, I, I didn't have anything else planned. So I go with them to the movies, and the movie that they took me to, I, I had never seen a trailer for I had never seen a movie poster for I had never even heard of this movie so as we got seated in the movie theater I leaned over to my buddy Jeff McGuire I said hey Jeff what's this movie about and he says Mike I actually don't know what this movie is about all I know is it's got the same actor as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure So that really set the expectation bar high for me, right? Just, you know, that kind of quality. And then the theater darkened, and the movie began. And for the next two hours and 16 minutes, my hair was blown back. And, of course, the movie was The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. And it was a science fiction journey deep down into the rabbit hole. I was confused the entire time, but my heart was pounding. And at the end, when the credits rolled, I was so glad I had taken that ride. I was so glad that Neo had taken the red pill instead of the blue pill, and that he had learned Kung Fu you know, instantly, and he believed that he was the one. And and Morpheus, of course, the coolest character of all cinematography. He his wisdom has inspired millions with his thousands and thousands of memes that have come out in the years. For example, uh, this one: "What if I told you you don't have to?" Right? Like like I, I I love this this whole construct. And the reason why I bring it all up is is this because in some ways, just just a very little, but in some ways. It, It's a little bit like when you hitch your wagon to Jesus. When you come to Jesus and you place your faith in him, you say, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. It's a little bit like he invites you to sit next to him on a roller coaster ride. And instantly you began and you don't see where the tracks go and there are a lot of twists and turns and loop-de-loops and your heart is pounding and you're a little bit confused because you don't see how this thing is going to play itself out. But at the end of the ride, when the credits roll, you are so thankful that you decided to throw your lot in with Jesus. And, and, and that kind of a journey, that kind of an adventure, and yet in the midst of a lot of confusion, that's really what we see in the life of Joseph. That's really how we see the story of Joseph unfolding, because if you'll remember, Joseph, he had this incredible beginning. There was this beautiful setup and the the setting was he was a, a favored son of his father. His dad had given him a robe and God had given him dreams and the expectations for his life. That bar was set really, really high. And then it all went haywire, right? It all sort of twists and turns and he's beaten by his brothers and he's sold into slavery and he's taken into exile and he's wrongfully accused. He's unjustly imprisoned and this is not the life that he thought he was signing up for. This is a total uh, detour. This is a trip, you know, into some kind of crazy uh, adventure that he didn't even sign up for and, and yet Joseph chooses to live in hope. What's foundational about Joseph's life is his faith that God is working in his life and behind the scenes. And and so he chooses to live in, in a hope that has tangible expression in his life. We talked about that a little bit last week. He chooses to live with a faith that is absolutely foundational for him, and God then is able to keep giving him favor and keep bringing him blessing in much the same way that if you live hope-filled and faith-filled, God will continue to pour his blessing and his favor out on you. But now where we find Joseph after this accusation is he is in prison, wrongfully thrown into an Egyptian prison, And what he finds out there is this, that your prison can be your preparation. Your prison can be your preparation. Or as Morpheus says it, what if I told you your prison can be your preparation? Thank you very much, Christina. I appreciate you. I need the support. All right, let's jump in. We're going we're gonna to see now Joseph in prison. Again, wrongfully, he hasn't done anything to deserve being there, but, but this is where he is. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Can you just circle those two words? With Joseph. Now, here's the incredible promise for you and for me, that the Lord is with you and the Lord is with me. In fact, that, that was the, the prophetic name that Jesus is to receive The the anointed one of God, the, the prophetic title that he carries is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. God is with us. Jesus is with us no matter where we are, what trial we face, what prison we find ourselves in. See, God was with Joseph and God Is with us. Okay, let's keep going. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Very, very interesting, and we've seen this again and again in Joseph's life. Because God is with Joseph, and Joseph responds well to the favor of God, God gives him favor and makes him a favorite. And and it's a little bit of that upward cycle that we see happening in Joseph's life again and again and again. When he's in his father's house, he's trustworthy, trustworthy, He's responsible. He's a dutiful son. And therefore, his dad kind of elevates him and and receives these trustworthy uh, reports that Joseph gives on how his brothers are doing, right? And and so Jacob, his dad, he gets to rest easy because Joseph is on the job. And then later in Potiphar's house... We see exactly the same thing, that that he receives favor from God. Potiphar now has a favorite in Joseph. And so he trusts Joseph with everything. Joseph is diligent and he's responsible and he's managing all the livestock, all the agriculture, he's managing the real estate and the portfolio and everything for Potiphar. So Potiphar rests easy knowing that Joseph is on the job. And now again, this is almost like episode three. We see that Joseph's in prison, but the exact same thing is happening. The prison warden gives Joseph maybe one responsibility, and Joseph uh, just succeeds beautifully. So the prison warden maybe gives him another responsibility. Hey, you know, we, we need a prison library, and Joseph builds it perfectly. And then, you know, he just keeps going. And the prison warden says, you know, someone could really help me with my finances and how we're paying for all this food that the prisoners eat and how we manage them. And Joseph says, I'm, I'm ready. I'm good. And, and so Joseph takes care of all the finances and all the financial dealings of the prison and, and the prison warden. Actually, this sounds a whole lot like the, the plot line of Shawshank Redemption, but it's, it's not. It's... It's this reality that everywhere Joseph goes, that God gives him favor, and Joseph becomes a favorite. But what I want you to see is it's not just on God's side of the equation. It's not like God just does some supernatural magic, and and people are just blind, and they, they just make Joseph their favorite. It's how Joseph responds to these situations. You see, Joseph shows up. And Joseph leans in. And and what kind of attitude does Joseph have? What what is the perspective that Joseph embraces? Listen to this it's the attitude that anyone would have who is absolutely convinced that God is still at work in their life. That's what Joseph does. That's the attitude that he has. The attitude of anyone who is absolutely convinced that God is still at work. In their life. And so, what Joseph does is he shows up to work and, and, and he's hardworking and he's creative and he's responsible and he's wise and he's optimistic and he's diligent. He's the kind of employee that Seth Godin calls a linchpin employee. He keeps making himself essential and essential and essential. And this is a general principle of God's favor, that if we live that way, that God's promotion and God's favor and God's blessings will end up coming our way. And friends, I would argue that even if the promotion doesn't come, this is still the best way, the the most self-satisfying way for us to live our lives and steward our own hearts. This is the best way to choose, and Joseph chooses to live his life in this way. And then also notice that every season in Joseph's life prepares him for the next season. And this is a lesson that is most easily seen when you and I use uh, hindsight, when we look back over the course of our life and see that every season that we go through ends up inevitably God uses it to prepare us for the next season. Pastor Gary uh, reminded us of this truth last week, and you might want to write it down. It's this, that God is preparing you for what God is preparing for you. God is preparing you for what God is preparing for you. Now, the part of this equation that is hidden from us is what God is preparing for you. That's God's work behind the scenes. That's behind the curtain. We don't get a chance to see what God is preparing for us, but what we can embrace is how God is preparing us today. What are the lessons we need to learn today? What what is the mastery that we need to accomplish in today, in, in this circumstance, in this scenario that God has placed me in? But you see, Joseph didn't know what was coming next, just like we don't. He couldn't see the front side of the tapestry. He could only see the back side with its colors and its knots and its uh, apparent messiness. And so how did he keep moving forward? How did he show up and bring his best day after day after day again, friends? He just did what anyone would do who is absolutely convinced that God is at work in their life. And he came again and again, day after day, bringing his best. Okay, so some time passes, and Joseph's in charge of now basically the whole prison. He's a prisoner, but he's in charge of the whole prison. And Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker somehow make Pharaoh angry, and they get thrown into jail. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they've done. My creative team and I, I actually tried to do some research on this. I, I explored as many different avenues as I could find. Couldn't find anything on what they might have done to become imprisoned. We couldn't even come up with something. It's like, uh, we, you just have to know. These were tough times, you know, really ruthless kind of, of a scenario. And if you offend the king, you get thrown in jail. That's just how it works. So maybe the, the cupbearer served a merlot when a cab was called for at the meal or something. And, and maybe the baker, you know, served the, the cream puffs without enough puff uh, for the pharaoh. And so whatever they've done, they offended him and, and they get thrown into jail. And who's in charge of them? Joseph. Because he's in charge of the entire prison. And so Joseph's in charge of their care. This says in verse 5, Genesis 40, While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them, And they replied, We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business," Joseph replied. "Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, a couple of things I want you to note. The first is that he listened with his eyes. In other words, he noticed their demeanor. He, he noticed their facial expressions. He, he 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 was he was intuitively and discerningly viewing the situation. And then number two, he listened with his ears. Hey, it seems like something's not right. Can you tell me what's going on? I bring this up because a few weeks ago, I had made a joke about Joseph not being very emotionally intelligent, right? He had these dreams that his brothers were gonna bow down to him, and so he kept telling his brothers about these dreams, that they're gonna bow down to him, and we are like, hey, Joseph, read the room. Like, this is not a good scenario right here. But I want you to see that, that what I see in this journey is that Joseph has grown, that J- Joseph is actually much better in this regard now, that, he, that he's able to bring a, a much deeper level of caregiving. He's able to actually have a lot more compassion in this moment. He's able to be an empathetic listener. And, it, and it's, a, it's a great, great challenge for you and for me. It's a great, great challenge recognizing that these things that Joseph has gone through, they've been difficult. They've been hard for him, and yet the entire time he's been going through these challenges, he is growing and developing, and there is a progression of his character that is good. It brings me to the next fill-in. Your prison can produce your character. Your prison can produce your character. Or like uh, Morpheus says, what if I told you your prison can produce... Maybe you guys didn't see the same movie I saw. (laughs) You know, notice, though, Joseph has drawn close to God, and God has drawn close to Joseph. That this is a reality that has happened in the different scenarios of Joseph's life. and, And Joseph was conducting himself in a very blessable way. And he was very diligent in accomplishing the task that he had been given, even finding new and more creative ways to do what, what he was tasked with. And he was leading both outwardly and upwardly. And because of his increased character, God increased his capacity. And we see this again and again and again in Scripture. And intuitively, we know it's true. And you might just want to write it down, that increased character results in increased capacity. That as God produces our character, God will also increase our capacity and our ability to serve and to lead. I want you to note a couple of things. Sometimes we trick ourselves and we say something like this. We say, when I get out of these circumstances, then I'll really be able to lean in to my faith. Then I'll really begin to be able to serve the Lord. Then I'll, then I'll actually begin to do the work on my own character and, and, and to develop my character. Once I get out of these trying circumstances, once I get out of these tempting scenarios, then I'll really be able to lean in and to grow. Let me warn you, that, that that is actually a lie, we tell ourselves. God can use any circumstances to grow your character. God can use any scenario and allow you to lean into him and to increase your dependence upon him and to allow your character to be molded more and more into the character of Christ. And this is a challenge that we should always be asking ourselves, are we growing more gracious? Are we growing more generous? Are we growing more kind? Are we growing more compassionate? Are we allowing the circumstances that we're going through to propel us into the arms of Jesus, to lean in and trust him even more, to allow him to do the work in our own lives? Any circumstance can be good for that. And by the same token, any circumstance can be an excuse for us to become shallow, to become selfish, to become completely interested only in our own entertainment and pleasure and well-being. Any circumstance. We think sometimes, oh, if things are hard, we give ourselves the excuse, oh, because things are hard, I really am entitled to, to do my own thing. I'm really entitled just to pursue my own pleasure because things are hard. But do you realize we say the same thing when the blessing comes? You've, you've heard stories, people win the lottery. And then what do they do? They promptly tank their lives. They leave their spouse, they they spend it all on horrible things, They, they pursue their own pleasure to their own destruction. You see, the circumstances are just the setting in which we live. How we respond to circumstances, that's what allows our character to grow. And my last thought in this is, what does God want to grow our character into? He wants to grow us into the character of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the character he's working to develop within us. That's what he wants us to lean into him and to trust him in every situation of our lives so that the character of Christ grows more fully within us. Can can, can I get an amen? Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. Now let's talk about prophetic dreams for just a moment. Prophetic dreams. uh, This is what happens. The the baker, the the, uh, cupbearer, the candlestick maker, but he's not mentioned. The... um, they're in prison, they have these dreams, they're prophetic dreams. I, I do believe that God can use dreams to communicate his will for us, or to communicate some kind of a confirmation of truth to us. I don't believe that all dreams have meaning, or all dreams are prophetic, and I don't think anyone does, but, but I do believe that God can use dreams just like he can use any scenario. I'll give you a couple of examples. My friend Erica, she and her family are a part of Overlake. I've been friends with this family for years and years. And over a decade ago, Erica was here in the States while her family was over serving on a mission trip in Kenya. And Erica had a dream that night, one night. And in that dream, she felt like God was just impressing this truth on her that her parents needed to adopt two little boys, and, and she even had their names from this dream. So she wakes up, and she begins to try to contact her parents and, and let them know, I, I had this incredible, intense dream. I know the Lord was speaking, and, and I, I think you're going to be adopting two boys. Here are their names. Meanwhile, her parents were trying to get in touch with her because they had just met these two incredible boys that they felt like God was calling them to adopt, and they gave their names. It was the same name. And so they adopted these boys, and they're an incredible, vibrant part of the Overlake family. They, that's, that's one of those stories where a prophetic dream, right? There, there's a confirmation given there. God has actually used dreams two different times in my life to, to move me. It was a season of wrestling and, and indecision. I was praying a lot, and, and it, it was because of a dream that God gave me that additional confirmation to move me into the next season. But I'll also tell you, last Saturday night, I had a dream where me and my buddy Jesse were driving in the pouring rain on a windy mountain road, and I had to swerve suddenly to avoid a beaver in the road shooting lasers from its eyes. (laughs) And as I swerved, I hit the beaver and it got stuck in my wheel well, so I pulled over at the Safeway parking lot to examine the damage, and I'm pretty sure that was not a prophetic dream. So yes, right, we believe maybe that God can use dreams from time to time. I would say that would be on the rare side of the equation, but that there are many dreams that have no meaning whatsoever. Uh, Brings me to the next part of the scripture, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Okay, it's a couple of things here. The baker also has a dream. If you read through, you'll read uh, the portion where the baker reveals his dream as well. Instead of three vines, it's three baskets of bread. And, uh, and it turns out to be a bad dream. Not just because it's carb-heavy, but because uh, those... Three baskets, they represent the last three days of his life. And, and Joseph lets him know that, uh, that, that, that there's, there's going to be a, a bad outcome. In fact, it's, 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 uh, you're going to be impaled on a stick, which I'm going to say that's the worst dream you can have right there. Okay? And, and uh, then we keep going in verse 20 here. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. Handing Pharaoh his cup actually sounds like a job most of us have the skill set for. And then it says, But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just a little birthday treat he gave himself, uh, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Look at this last line. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph never giving him another thought. So, I want you to maybe just think about the cupbearer for a moment. He's had a scare. He he offended Pharaoh, he got thrown into prison. And then somebody cared for him. Joseph cared for him. And Joseph took care of him and Joseph comforted him. And then when the the cupbearer has a dream, Joseph correctly interprets the dream And he just asked one favor. My favor is this, that when you get reinstated with Pharaoh, mention me, please, because I'm here unjustly. I've been wrongfully imprisoned. And would you please just mention this to Pharaoh? And the cupbearer, in his excitement of his restored fortune, in the exhilarance and and the exuberation of a new day now reinstated with Pharaoh in his court, the the cupbearer, forgets, and Joseph remains in prison. You know, th- there's a couple of ways that, that we could go with this, and, and the first is this is actually one of those reasons why organizations like Amnesty International are really powerful, or, or IJM, International Justice Mission, why, why these are really powerful, because the primary message that these organizations send is very, very simply, you are not forgotten. And that's a beautiful message. The second way I want to go with this is you and I, the chances are you and I have received kindness from people throughout the years. There have been people who took risks on us and believed in us. People who extended us opportunities maybe that we didn't earn yet. There, there were people who were rooting for us and helping us along the way. And, and what's interesting is I have a sneaking suspicion that as we get to that next season, as we excel at that opportunity, we then forget who helped us get there. And so I want to ask you today, is there anybody you've forgotten Anybody who helped you, anybody who served you, anybody who gave to you, who, whose kindness or whose generosity or whose opportunity blessed you in your journey, is there somebody you need to remember today and write a thank you card to or reach out to or, or send that email or, or, or just say, hey, let me buy you a coffee. I never got a chance to thank you. Okay. Because we know, we forget, and people forget. And, and, and that's just the reality of us being human. But I want you to understand that God never forgets. That God does not forget. He will not forget. That, that that's a phrase actually that you'll never read in the entire canon of Scripture. You'll never read, and God forgot Joseph in prison. And God forgot the Israelites in exile. And God forgot Paul in his trials. You'll never read that phrase because it never happens. God is with us. And so instead, the phrases that you'll read, and God saw, and God heard, God remembered his servant, that that there's this recognition that God is with us and that God is for us and that God does not forget us. And, And that's a powerful, powerful truth. All right, and then it brings us to this next phrase. It's the last one we'll cover through Genesis. Genesis 41, verse 1. It's just the first part of this verse. It's not even a complete sentence. And it says, when two full years had passed. Just kind of as an aside, when two full years had passed. So what's happening during this two full years? Joseph is still in prison. Joseph is still waiting and in, this is an example of what I call Bible time. And you just might want to jot that, that down. Bible time. It's Bible time. In other words, it, it, there's a different way that God views time than we view time. And I wonder if you could imagine a bungee cord for a moment. You know what a bungee cord is? It stretches. It's got kind of hooks on either end. You use it to put your luggage on the roof rack or something like that. and You could stretch it out, but, but if you let it go, it, it, you know, it shrinks down. And if I were to ask you to measure a bungee cord, you could do it in a couple of ways. You could stretch it as far as it goes. You could measure that length. Or you could let it relax. You could measure that length. And I want you to know that's a lot of like how we view time versus how God views time. You see, we view time like this. It's stretched out. And it's incremental. It's moment by moment. It's day by day. And we're on the inside, so we view every moment, every day. But God kind of views the whole thing. He exists outside of time. And it's a little more relaxed how God views it. And so I just want you to understand that, that God is faithful to fulfill His plans, that God is faithful to fulfill His promises. But understand that when God promised Abraham... A country of his own, a nation that he would bring him to and give to him. That promised land became the nation of Israel 500 years after God made that promise. Bible time, right? Or you think about this great verse. We've already talked about it in this series, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God tells his people, Israel, as they're going into exile, he says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's true. And God fulfills his plans. But in the verse previous to that, he says, it's going to be about 70 years before you're going to see any movement on this. Bible time. Or King David, he's anointed as king of all of Israel roughly 20 years before he becomes, actually, the king of all Israel. That's Bible time. And here we have Joseph, and now Joseph is in prison, and and Joseph is waiting for the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh, and it's when two full years had passed. This This is Bible time. And the reason why this is important for us to understand is because thinking in Bible time gives us an eternal perspective, and it helps us to manage the expectations that we're dealing with on a day-by-day basis. The Apostle Paul really understands Bible time, and that's why he writes these words. He says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, friends, what an incredible truth. And it is true that the Lord sees time very differently than we see time. That he views it from the outside, as it were. In fact, I, I did put that verse on your outline if you want to kind of go up. Uh, 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 kind of backwards just a moment Second Peter 3 8 it says with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day and in fact there's a very current example of this Bible time kind of a very relevant example and that is this <laughs> with the Cubs right one championship is like 108 years But I want you to see that we get so impatient for what we want right now, for what we think God has promised us right now, for the plans that we need God to fulfill right now. And and because we're so impatient, we don't understand how to relax into Bible time and to trust God with Bible time. And, you know, I've been in ministry for 25 years, and unfortunately, when people get impatient in Bible time, they end up making all kinds of decisions that are based on impatience and the temptation of impatience. I've seen people bail out on businesses just too soon. I've seen people bail out on marriages. I've seen people bail out on mortgages. It's just because they get so impatient in the moment, they feel like they have to make a choice. They jump. They make a life-altering decision, and so often they end up regretting it. And so if that's where you are, I I would say to you what I would say to some of these same folks that I've already had conversation with. Hey, hey, can you relax in it for a while? Can, Can you trust God in it for a while? Can you reset the clock a little bit? Put it on Bible time. Allow God to show himself faithful to you by fulfilling this promise in your life. Give it a few years. And I know this is hard for us, and it's hard for me, so I'm preaching to myself right here. The idea of waiting is difficult for us. But the Bible says that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. And I, and I want you to understand that, that concept of waiting on the Lord. There are a couple of definitions of the word wait. See, one definition of wait is just hang out. Stay put. You know, look at, look at your clock. Tick the days off, right? Like that, that's one definition of wait is you just stay. But there's another definition. It's what waiters actually do in restaurants. Waiters serve. They see needs, they anticipate needs, and they serve. It's a proactive stance of waiting. And and when it comes to this Bible time, the the challenge that I'd bring is the same challenge that Joseph embraced. It's to wait upon the Lord by serving him by bringing the very best you know how to bring, by by seeing needs and anticipating needs and ministering to those needs in love that right now in the circumstances that we are currently in, we have a myriad of opportunity to wait upon the Lord. And so I would challenge you to do that, that you would wait upon him, that you'd be proactive, that you would wait, and as you wait, that you would do what you're supposed to do because that's how God builds our character. You would imagine that Joseph, by the time that he'd been in prison for years, would begin to lose heart, that he would be tempted to bail on God altogether. But Joseph does exactly the opposite. Joseph doesn't bail out. Joseph leans in. And what he ends up finding is that his prison becomes his preparation. What Joseph sees and experiences is that his prison produces his character. What does Joseph do? Joseph just does what anyone does. Anybody who is absolutely convinced that God is still at work in their life. And I I would say that, that Joseph, he acted like someone who was supremely confident that God was still going to make his plans come to fruition. You see, he he thought maybe initially that his plan was just going to go straight up and to the right and everything would be hunky-dory. But the truth is God had some detours. He had a pit stop, literally. He had uh, he had a detour in Potiphar's house. He had, uh, you know, a time in jail. And yet all of this was in order to build the faith muscles that Joseph needed in order to bring the blessing that God was going to bring. And, and, and the challenge is what is... God up to in our lives? We don't know. What is God preparing for you behind the scenes? We don't know. But what you can do is what anybody would do who is absolutely convinced that God is still at work in your life. You see, I want to challenge you to live in hope, and I want to give you one last definition of hope. This is what Joseph chooses to live in, and this is what we need to choose to live in, and that is holding on with patient expectation. Holding on with patient expectation. Knowing that God is at work behind the scenes, that God has not forgotten us, but instead God is with us, that God does have plans for us, promises that he will bring to fruition, but they will happen in Bible time. So we hold on with patient expectation. Expectation. Now, Joseph could not have seen this. Nobody could foresee this. But Joseph is about to get the promotion of a lifetime. He is about to go from prison to being the second most powerful man in the entire known world enacting a plan of salvation that will save not just thousands of lives, but millions of lives and change the course of history for the known world. That's not an overstatement. But you're going to have to come back next week to hear about that. Right now, what I want to do is I simply want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's ask Jesus to meet us in this. And so, Jesus, we do pray that you would show us how we might do what anyone would do who is absolutely convinced that you are at work in our lives because Jesus, we are convinced. We are convinced that you're at work in our lives. We are convinced that you have not forgotten us. We are convinced that you will fulfill your plans for us. We believe this and so we wanna live faith-filled. We want to live hope-filled. We want to be proactively waiting upon you, meeting the needs that we see, meeting and anticipating the needs of those around us, and, and serving you with our whole hearts. Jesus, thank you so much for how you love us. Thank you that you never forget us, and you never abandon us, but that you are with us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.